Hello and welcome to The Doc Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Mike DeLuke, and it's my mission to help you lead a happier, healthier, and more prosperous life, both personally and professionally. Hello and welcome to this edition of The Doc Podcast. I'm happy to have back Mr. John Vento for part three of our three-part series on tax information for dentists. Just to recap, John is the president and CEO of Vento Tax and Wealth Management Group and is a nationally renowned keynote speaker, professor, and financial services industry thought leader. I went into detail regarding all of John's impressive professional accomplishments and affiliations at the start of part one of this series, which was released on September 8th, 2023. So be sure to check that out to learn more about John and his extensive background as a CPA and CFP. We had a really great response to parts one and two of this series, and I encourage you to check those episodes out if you haven't seen them already. I will put links to all previous episodes with John in the show notes, along with the link to John's great book, Getting to Point X, and a link to his website and various tax calculators. In part three, we're going to talk about tax smart retirement savings strategies. Since this topic is so extensive, we're actually going to break this one up into parts A and B like we did for part two. So this now will be part three A today, and then we'll be releasing part three B in the near future. In part three A today, we'll be providing a general overview of the tax and overall financial advantages of retirement savings, including how to figure out what your point X or point at which you can reach financial freedom and independence is, the importance of setting up a retirement plan for you and your practice, the difference between traditional and Roth IRAs, and if one is better than the other, how to select the best retirement plan for you and your practice, If there are any ways to catch up on contributions, if you're maybe an older doc or older individual and you haven't saved enough for retirement, and some of the tax savings and credits available for setting up a retirement plan for your practice. In part 3B, we're going to dive deeper into the logistics and tax benefits involved with setting up these plans for your practice, including what the SECURE Act 2.0 is and how it's impacted the implementation of a retirement plan the dental practice pension startup credit, the employer contribution tax credit, the auto enrollment tax credit, and the new rules regarding auto enrollment in 401k and 403b plans. Before we begin, I want to make it clear that the content of this episode is general information only and is not intended to be specific financial, accounting, or legal advice, nor is it directed towards any one individual or group of individuals. Please consult your own accountant, CPA, and financial advisor for information regarding your specific situation. So without further ado, I'd like to welcome Mr. John Vento back to the podcast. Welcome back, John. Thanks. Thank you, Mike. My, my pleasure. Great to be back again. It's, it's been great. Really, really enjoyed it. So if you would just take a moment before we dive deep into the content here, uh, just review in case anybody hasn't listened to any of the previous episodes, just kind of review a little bit about uh, your firm, the services you guys offer, if you would. I'd be happy to do that. So we're, we're a comprehensive wealth management firm, uh, tax and wealth management firm. Uh, we basically cover it all. So we have a CPA division, that CPA division focuses strictly on dental practices. Uh, we are called dental CPAs. 
On that side of the business, we handle the accounting and tax services for dental practices across the country. We do strategic tax planning specific for dental practices. So we uncover deductions and credits that uh, someone else might not be aware of because we specialize in dentistry. We also provide financial dental practice management services. So we go far beyond just uh, preparing the return, going through your records, but we're giving you hands-on advice throughout your practice life cycle. And then, of course, the practice transition, whether you're a young dentist looking to buy a practice or an older dentist looking to sell a practice, we have a plan to get you in and then a plan to get you out down the road. And that part of our practice is headed up by my son, John Vento, as well, John Jr. Uh, he's also a CPA with a master's in taxation. I taught him everything he knows. Not quite. He knows a lot more than I taught him, but I, I joke around with him about that often. Uh, but he's a, he's a younger, brighter, better version of me. That's, that's probably the best way I could put it. Uh, I focus on the wealth management side of the practice. That's where I utilize my skills not only as a CPA, but also as a certified financial planner. Mm -hmm. So we are also dental certified financial planners, which again makes us unique in the marketplace because we do it all. On that end of it, we work on comprehensive wealth management issues. We work on personal financial planning for the dentist, even beyond his dental practice. Mm -hmm. We provide investment advisory services. And we also have a special niche in the real estate area in terms of uh, buy, buying and selling real estate, doing that in the most tax-efficient manner through 1031 exchanges. And that, of course, is just a short, abbreviated version of what we do, but we're clearly unlike any other CPA firm because of our market niche and our specialty uh, working with dentists across the country. Thank you for going into that more. And, and as I mentioned before, it's very, you guys have a very comprehensive firm. It's been great working with you um, and with, with John Jr. since he's come aboard. And, and as I said, um, I think it was on the first episode. So when I, when I speak with him, it's it's so funny. You got He is he is more than just your namesake. He's definitely um, taken a lot of <laughs> his dad's traits in, in a good way, in a positive way. So we did, as we talked about in part two, the importance of the tax planning session. We just did our tax planning session uh, last week uh, in preparation. And as again, you guys practicing what you preach, it's not just saying this is what should happen, but we did our 2023 tax planning last week. So um, for for my side of things and businesses that that I own and manage and operate. So it's it's uh, really such an advantage. But yeah, when I, every time I talk to him, and, and not only is he, like you said, very bright and very, very capable, but it's the way he speaks and his mannerisms are are so similar to yours. It's it's pretty cool when I when I see that. So, um, but if you could maybe let's start by going into. I know there's a lot of confusion about what how much money do you need uh, to get to retirement or to point X or kind of that point of financial independence. So we always talk about it. We always hear kind of gurus out there saying, "Oh, you know." save, do this, spend this, and, and this is how you can get, retire earlier. This is how you can be financially free by X age. But it's really hard to find information on how you figure out what that point actually is for every individual, because it's different for everybody. Not everybody's earning at the same rate. Not everybody's saving at the same rate. Uh, not everybody's investing at the same rate. So what tools or what 
advice do you have for those who are trying to look to get some help to figure out what their point X is or what their point at which they can reach financial independence is? Right. Great, great, great question. And again, the definition of point X is financial independence. And as you said, Mike, that's different for everybody. Mm -hmm. I mean, going back to my parents, they were uh, poor immigrants that came here from uh, Italy right after World War II. Uh, their point X was definitely lower than my point X and lower than a lot of other people because they were able to make ends meet on a very simple budget. Mm -hmm. So the point to that is that if you're living on 100000 a year, you know, your point X might be here somewhere. If you're mm -hmm. living on 500,000 a year, it's going to be up here. If you're mm -hmm. living on a million or more, then your point X could be way up, you know, even above the screen here. Mm -hmm. So point X is a personal thing. It relates to you and your lifestyle. Some people live large and uh, I know this <laughs> sounds crazy, but there are people out there that look like they're multi-millionaires in the living paycheck to paycheck, even mm -hmm. if they're making a million dollars or more, but that's because they're not living within their means. Yep. And we, you know, we talked about that in earlier sessions, but at the end of the day here, getting to point X is unique and, and different for everyone. Mm -hmm. And fortunately, uh, being that the book is based on, that's the title of my book, everything you do throughout your lifetime will eventually affect your ability to get to that point X but then in the chapter where we cover retirement planning, I go into detail and I also have a website with a calculator that'll help everyone calculate their own personal point X. So I have a link here on the screen. I'm, I'm assuming you'll, you'll be able to pull that up on the screen at some mm -hmm. point. But uh, my website is pretty easy to get to. It's simply ventotaxandwealth.com. As long as they get to the website, they should easily be able to find this calculator. Uh, and that should be no issue at all. Once you click on that financial calculator, which is called calculator, calculate your point X, it'll take you to a series of questions. Mm -hmm. Now, this is not simple math by any means. Mm -hmm. And it's a type of math that's constantly changing. So it's a lot more than just algebra. We have 12 variables that we look at and that you have to answer to determine what you need to save, what you need to do to get to where you want to be down the road. Okay. So probably the best way I can do this is through an example. That'd be great. So I'm going to yeah. go through the twelve. Yep, I'm going to go through the twelve questions with a hypothetical dental dental client. Okay, and then we're going to see what the outcome could be. Okay, great. And I can uh, put uh, some of this up on the screen as you're talking um, as well. And then I can put a link to the uh, calculator in the show notes so people can just click on that link um, and be able to access the calculator too. So Perfect. So the 12 questions that we ask and you have to then answer is number one, what is your age? So the purpose of for the purpose of this example, we're going to assume we have a 35-year-old dentist. Mm -hmm. The next question is, what is your current income level? We're going to assume that's 200000 mm -hmm. uh, The next question is, are you married? And if so, what does your spouse earn? We're going to assume they have a non-working spouse bringing in no income, mm -hmm. perhaps uh, they're home caring for children. Uh, also, how much money have you saved so far? As of today, how much have you put aside? Mm -hmm. Here, we're going to assume it's 100000 Question five is what age do you desire to retire? And there we're going to assume 65 is the goal to retire by the age of 65. Okay. 
The next question says, how many years of retirement income do you expect you will need? That's just a polite way of saying, you know, what age do you think you're going to die? <laughs> yep. So we'll assume he's gonna, he or she is going to live to 90. So we're going to assume they have they need at least 25 years of income throughout their retirement years. The other big thing is, what is the expected inflation rate? Uh, historically, inflation has been around 2%. Uh, for the purpose of this example, I'm going to assume it's 3%. And, you know, when, once you go through this exercise, you'll go through what if scenarios for yourself. Mm-hmm. You'll see if you have a 5% inflation rate, that's going to destroy your whole retirement mm-hmm. you know, plan in terms of when you could get to point X. Mm-hmm. So part of why the Federal Reserve right now is trying to keep inflation low is because you don't want people to get to retirement and realize they can't afford to be there. Mm-hmm. But again, question number seven is, what do we expect the average inflation rate to be? We're going to use 3%. And by the way, all of these numbers, you're going to input those numbers directly into the financial calculator, okay. and that'll give you a result. So question eight is, how much of your current income do you think you're going to need during your retirement years? So the presumption here is your mortgage is now paid off, you know, you're debt-free, you follow that part of my book already. Mm-hmm. So you don't have any unnecessary debt. Also, the kids are out of, out, of, out of the house. They're already working. They're not your dependents. So typically in our retirement years, our expenses for the most part go down dramatically. Mm-hmm. But then we incur new expenses, such as a lot more medical-related costs, things of that nature, dental, dental care. Uh, also, we want to factor in the possibility of doing more travel since now you're retired. Mm-hmm. So for the purpose of this example, I'm going to assume your desire is to have 75% of the income that you were earning while you were working throughout your retirement years. Okay. Question nine, that we ask, what do you think your expected rate of return on your investments will be between now and the day you retire? Mm-hmm. We're using 8% in this example. Mm-hmm. And then once you're retired, most people at that point need to get a little more conservative with their investments. So we're going to assume a 6% return to glide you through the retirement years without Mm -hmm. taking any risk. Question 11 is, do you want us to assume you're going to be collecting Social Security when that time comes? A lot of people are concerned that by the time they're ready to retire, there'll be no Social Security, it'll be Mm -hmm. bankrupt. And, you know, I'm not a believer in that only Mm -hmm. because the government, you know, do they make a lot of mistakes? The answer is obviously yes. But when it comes to Social Security, you know, they'll tweak the system. They'll either increase the amount of money they have to collect from those working, maybe reduce benefits. So we're going to assume you will collect Social Security in this example, and we're assuming that's going to be $2,000 per month in Social Security benefits. Mm-hmm. So once you answer all those questions, you're going to input that, you're going to hit enter, and then it's going to calculate a result for you. Nice. So based on those particular facts and assumptions, this particular individual needs to save 13.8% per year throughout their work years, Mm -hmm. which comes to about $2,300 per month in order to achieve their point X. In this particular example, they're going to need to accumulate $5,211 in in retirement investment assets. Mm -hmm. And again, those are assets that will be generating income for them. That does not include your home, a secondary home, your car. Mm -hmm. Those are not personal. Those are personal use assets. They don't generate income. Mm -hmm. So 
The purpose of this exercise is to let you know, I generally say, rule of thumb, 10% or more of your gross income you have to save. Mm -hmm. That's just a given. But for some people, especially a little later in life, you're going to need to put away a lot more than that, especially if you haven't done a good job of saving towards retirement. Mm -hmm. The other thing I want to tell you about this calculator, obviously, the result that you get is not final and definite, right? Mm -hmm. Because life changes. So as time goes on, this is something you're going to analyze at least on an annual basis. What is the current inflation rate? How much I was able to save a little more than I Mm -hmm. thought, a little less than I thought. But I'll give you a measuring stick so that at least you know you're on track Mm -hmm. to eventually get to your point X. Mm -hmm. And in the example I used here, I used age 65 as getting to point X at age 65. A more ambitious dentist may say, you know what, I'm 26 years old or 28 years old. I just became a dentist. I'm brilliant. I'm going to be able to retire by the age of 40. But you could put that number in Mm -hmm. and you could plan out your point X by the age of 40 or 50 or 60, whatever you want. My My big point here is knowing a rough approximation of what you have to do will keep you on the right track to point X. The sad reality is most people, when it comes to planning their retirement future, uh, they spend a lot less time doing that mm-hmm. than planning the next summer vacation. You know, yep. People explore all the different deals out there, speak yep. to a couple of travel agents, yep. go to all these online sites, You know, get the reviews of every restaurant, plan that all out. They put literally hours and hours into that. But yet when I ask a client very often, how much time have you put into planning having a real plan so that you can become financially independent. And typically the answer is not much at all. You know, it's mm-hmm. something I just never get around to. Yep. So this is something every listener here should be motivated to do because if you don't have a strategy, a plan to get you to point X, it's not going to happen by mistake. You know, it's just not going to happen by chance. So critically important that we take this process in our life very seriously. And I'm sure everyone feels the same way. There will come a point in your life that you no longer want to keep working for your money. Mm-hmm. And at that point, you want to have enough money saved so your money is working for you so you can continue the standard of living you have now or maybe better without having to worry about earning a paycheck. That, that's really, that's also the definition of point X, by the way. Yep. No, that's, that's awesome. And I can't overstate how important it is for the listeners to go in and, and use this and, take the time. It's not even a lot of time it's going to take to do this exercise uh, and repeat it, as you said, annually, because I think part of the reason, and I completely agree, I talk to docs, whether it's residents I'm teaching or docs have been practicing decades, and a lot of them, they still have no idea what that retirement age looks like from a financial standpoint. And and they, I think the ambiguity of it is kind of what dissuades people from even maybe putting the time and energy into it. You know, that vacation you referenced, they know the week they're going to go, they know where they want to go. They can define a lot of those terms and parameters, whereas retirement is really hard to define and even conceptualize. And so it's hard to set goals in accordance with that. It's where a calculator like this and the ability to have the utility to, to look into that, enter some basic data. I mean, really, it's not like this is anything too advanced. And the fact that they can change it and adjust it and see, okay, if like you said, if I want to retire at 40, if I want to retire at 50, if I have a practice that's you know not shilling off as much income, so I've got to tick down what I can contribute each year and you can adjust it 
as you're going to start to really get a feel and dial it in a little bit. And I think if people could dial it in a little bit more, even within a five-year range or so, I think they could start to set the goals and objectives to get them there. I think the big part of it is they just don't know where they're going. They're just out on the road like, well, I don't know, maybe I'll end up somewhere I want to go, but I really don't know. So it's such a great resource. And, and I really hope everybody, as I said, I'll, I'll put it in the show notes, a link right directly to that calculator. And, and I hope everybody listening takes the time to uh, to go fill that out. Great, great. Yeah, And just to elaborate well on you ju- what you just said, by looking at this calculation on an annual basis. Well, if I just said you have to put away 13% a year, and now this time next year, say you got to put away 15%, mm-hmm. that means you've deviated off your path. Mm-hmm. Now, your goal should be to get to that point and um, just make sure you save what is required. And if at some point the calculator comes out and says, you know what, what you need to do is save 8% a year going forward, that means you've done a great job so mm-hmm. far. Yep. And the reality of you getting to point X, financial independence, when you want, now it's going to become a reality rather than just a you know, hypothetical dream. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And kind of going off of that, what role does retirement savings play in that? So I mean, there's different ways people can create wealth. Uh, one of the ones we're going to focus on today is kind of that retirement savings side of it um, and having retirement plans. So what role do they play in, have you seen, especially in your clients and, and, and what does the documentation and literature say that having retirement plans can play in helping someone get to that point X of financial independence? Right. So with, when we talk about a retirement plan, I also want to clarify, we're talking about a qualified retirement plan under the IRS code. Okay. And when they call it a qualified retirement plan, basically the government is saying, look, we, we as, as the government we want to make sure that you down the road are going to be financially able to support yourself. The last mm-hmm. thing the government wants is uh, you know, a whole bunch of 67-year-olds that can't afford to you know, pay the rent. Mm-hmm. So if you set up a qualified retirement plan for, you, for yourself, the government is giving you huge, huge incentives to do that because okay. they're trying to motivate you to save for the future. So some of the huge advantages we're talking about here Number one, let's assume you're a high income earner Mm -hmm. and you're in the 50% tax bracket. Well, if I just put $50,000 into, let's say, a SEP IRA account, Mm -hmm. that $50,000 just saved me $25,000 in taxes. Mm -hmm. What does that mean? Well, now I have twice as much money than I would have otherwise in that retirement plan. Mm -hmm. Now, that's not where the story ends. Let's say you're lucky enough to earn 8% per year on your money. Mm-hmm. Well, think about it. You're not only earning 8% on the money that is yours that you would have gotten had you not put it into this account, mm-hmm. but you're also earning 8% on the money that you didn't have to give to the government. Mm-hmm. So if you think about it, you're really earning double the amount. You're doubling your earning ability by doing it through a qualified retirement plan. And then that compounds every year on top of that. Exactly. Exactly right. So if you're doubling your rate of return, because we're measuring it in not only making money on your money, but making money on the money you didn't have to give to the government right. throughout your career, that will be a game changer. You know, yep. The difference between doing it that way and doing it in after-tax dollars, just putting into a regular investment account mm-hmm. or savings account, you're going to get there more than twice as fast. Mm-hmm. Not only will you have twice as much because of the contribution amount, 
But as you said, Mike, the compounding, the power of compounding, which I cover in chapter 12 of my book, I go through dozens of examples. That's really the secret to, to accumulating a significant amount of wealth is understanding the power of compounding. And, and just one, that, if I can interrupt you for a quick second, John, on that. So okay. one thing people say often that I hear is, yeah, but then I have to pay taxes on it later. Um, but from what I'm hearing you say, the power of compounding of that money growing tax-free, of more money growing tax-free for a longer period of time outweighs it. Even if you are, most people aren't probably going to be in a higher tax bracket, assuming taxes stay relatively the same, obviously, but aren't necessarily going to be in a higher tax bracket when they retire. If anything, they'll be in a comparable one or lower one. So if you could just take a moment to just address those people who say, yeah, but I've got to pay taxes later on this money anyway. Right. And that and that's completely true. Eventually, you'll have to pay taxes. And I'm going to give you an example of that in, in, a, in a few minutes. Okay. But the, the bottom line here is the power of tax deferral is tremendous. If you could double your rate of return without taking one iota additional risk, mm -hmm. that's priceless. Now, do that over a 30, 40-year period. And then also throughout your retirement years, because mm -hmm. you'll be compounding that money based on not just while you're working, but also throughout your retirement years. It's real, really a game changer. Mm -hmm. So trust me when I tell you, uh, if you have a choice of doing it one way or the other, that's definitely the way you want to do it is through a qualified retirement plan. And the key takeaway here is you're going to accelerate your path to financial independence. Mm -hmm. So one thing I know for sure is if I want to accumulate $5 million and invest the money exactly the same way, I'm going to get there in half the time, most mm -hmm. likely, stashing that money away into a retirement plan. And the government also then tells you, well, once you put it in there, can't touch it. Otherwise, you could get penalized for touching it. Mm -hmm. It also incentivizes you to stay on track with your retirement. It's good Otherwise, point. yeah. There's some good reason to spend that money on something right. else, right? Right. That's a good point. I actually never even thought of that side of it, but right. It's it's an inherent deterrent to wanting to dip into that. Exactly. Otherwise, trust me, things will happen throughout life. You know, right. All of a sudden you get married, you have to buy a house, a kid comes along, you have to buy another car. So, you know, it helps you live within your means because yep. you're budgeting yourself. Yep. And that's why I say that 10% or more. At a minimum, suck that away into a retirement plan mm -hmm. and treat it like it's not even there. And then it'll be there when you need it. And again, you don't necessarily have to wait to be 65 or 67. You can become financially independent and uh, retire sooner. So to answer the question you just gave me, and I said I would defer a little bit, uh, I'm going to ask your audience a question, including yourself. Mm -hmm. If I offered you an interest-free loan and I told you don't have to pay me any interest on it, I think most people would take me up on that offer every single day. Yep. Now, if I also said I'll give you an interest-free loan every single year for the rest of your working life, mm -hmm. never pay me a penny of interest, there's nobody that wouldn't take me up on that. But then I tell you, once you retire, you could start paying me back that money very slowly over your life expectancy, mm -hmm. but throughout your whole lifetime, never pay me a penny of interest. Mm -hmm. How many people that are listening right now would trade in their student loans for that offer? Everybody yep. would, right? Yep. You'd be foolish not to. Absolutely. Yep. That is what a retirement plan is. The government's saying, look, 
in the example I gave you, put 50,000 away for retirement, I'm going to give you 25,000. Don't pay me that 25,000 mm-hmm. until some point in the future. Use that along with the power of compounding, invest that money wisely. Mm-hmm. You'll get to that point X, as I said before, twice as fast. So some people don't really look at it that way, that it's really an interest-free loan, but mm-hmm. it is. And I agree. Eventually you have to pay it back. But if it's interest-free and I could earn money on somebody else's money, why not take advantage of that? So it's a strategy that really works. Absolutely. And it's one I've taken advantage of for sure. And I can say from personal experience, it makes a huge difference in how quickly you can accumulate wealth to get to that point. So um, I think people hear IRA and and again, it's just lack of education on this. It's not that this stuff's rocket science necessarily. It's just it's hard, and especially in the dental profession or in a lot of professions, whether it's medicine, dentistry, um, and and different people that are so hyper-focused on their learning and mastering the skills that are required for their occupation, they don't get a lot of financial background or education through their entire schooling years. So there's different types of IRAs, uh, traditional and Roth, right? Right. So IRA stands for Individual Retirement Arrangement. So IRA is for an individual. You could set that up on your own, uh, assuming you qualify for a deduction or for a Roth. There's all these different tables we have to look at. We'll talk about that a little bit later. But the basic question you have is, what's the difference between a traditional retirement account versus a Roth retirement account? Right. And so is one better than the other? Is there? Or should you be doing both? Correct. So again, it depends on the facts and circumstances. So it depends on your overall finances. With a traditional IRA, any money you put into it will be tax deductible, assuming you meet the requirements for that. Mm-hmm. So you're going to get an immediate tax savings up front when you generally contribute to a traditional retirement account, whether it's an IRA or even a 401k, mm-hmm. you're going to get upfront tax deduction. And then in your retirement years, as you pull it out, you're going to pay taxes on that money. So upfront benefit, taxes on the far end, but you're getting the power of compounding all those years, and you're doubling the amount of money you have to invest. So to me, traditional account is terrific for most people, especially those that are on a tighter budget and may not be able to contribute more than the limit. Mm -hmm. The other type of retirement account is a Roth IRA account. Mm -hmm. So again, that's a Roth individual retirement arrangement. Mm -hmm. With the Roth, you're getting no upfront tax savings at all. Mm -hmm. So you put $6,500 into it. It doesn't lower your tax bill by a penny. Uh, but and you're not doing that, that through your practice at that point, right? That's income. You've taken the income out and then you would invest that post tax from income you've received. Correct. Exactly. Exactly. Right. So with an Roth, it's really after tax money you're investing. Mm-hmm. So some people would say, well, why would I want to do that? Well, I'll tell you the reason is that if you go into a Roth account, mm-hmm. every penny that you earn throughout your lifetime, including throughout retirement, and then every every penny you pull out will be completely income tax free. Mm-hmm. That is a game changer for those people that are concerned. Well, I don't want to pay the tax on it down the road. Well, then a Roth might be the better choice, but you're not getting that upfront tax savings, mm-hmm. but you're getting a tremendous tax savings throughout all the years you own it, and also 
throughout your retirement years. Mm-hmm. So quick example there, let's assume, you, again, you earn 10% on a Roth IRA account, mm-hmm. you invested your money in, in a stock portfolio, did very well. That 10% is 10% tax-free. Mm-hmm. That's a game changer, right? Because now normally you'd be paying taxes on the dividends, interest you earn, capital gains. Every penny you earn, it's mm-hmm. going to be completely income tax-free. But again, these accounts have to be held until at least 59 and a half. And they also uh, basically have to be taken out throughout your retirement years. Mm-hmm. So Roth is definitely a good vehicle. Another important distinction is with traditional IRAs, the government requires you to take out a minimum distribution currently at age 72, even if you don't need the money. Okay. With a Roth, you're not required to ever take a distribution out. So if you never need it, you can eventually leave it to your, your loved ones, your children, and they can inherit that. And it'll also be completely income tax free to them. Okay. So definitely a difference between one and the other. I generally say if you're on a tight budget, but you want to save as much as you can, then go with the traditional because it's going to cost you less upfront. Mm-hmm. If you're making great income and you don't care about the tax deduction as much, especially if you're younger, because the more years you have ahead of you, the more the compounding, the more valuable Roth is, then a Roth may be the better choice for you. Okay. All right. Great. And with, uh, I appreciate putting those parameters on it because, and it may, I guess, to maybe a third option, doing both, right? I mean, if, if someone wants to kind of max out, if they're maxing out on their traditional IRA, and then they also want to be investing on a Roth, but are there certain income limits to, to the Roth or would that, would they, is there a point at which you can't give to a Roth? Right. Glad you asked that question because that's a misconception. So with IRA accounts right now, the limit is 6,500, mm-hmm. but that's all inclusive between Roth and traditional. So if you put in 6,000 to a traditional, the most you could put into a Roth that year would be uh, $500. Okay. So you can't, you could do both, but between both of them, you cannot contribute more than 6,500 per year in an individual retirement arrangement account. Okay. All right. Thank you. And then, so looking to the next level, all the different other types of <laughs> IRA accounts or retirement investment accounts that are out there, the 401k arena. Um, can you start to just maybe give us some clarity on what options are out there and how docs could start to sort this out? Absolutely. And, and as I mentioned in previous podcasts, the rules of the game, when you're an employee working for a dental practice, mm-hmm. or working for DSO, a very different than when you own your own practice. Yep. So as I mentioned, with an IRA account, if you even qualify for it, the limit if you're under under the age of 50 is only 6,500. Mm-hmm. If you own your own practice, there's a series of very, very uh, tax efficient approaches you can take. Okay. So one is called the SEP IRA, one's mm-hmm. a 401k with profit sharing or without, simple okay. IRA, 401k with safe harbor, profit sharing, those are all called defined contribution plans. And then my favorite for older individuals, older dentists, is a defined benefit plan. We typically recommend the cash balance plan in that case. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to do some comparisons of these right That'd now. Because right yeah. now, those words that probably don't mean much to your <laughs> right. listeners. Yep. 
So let's do some comparisons here. So in a traditional IRA or Roth as an individual, the most you can put away is 6,500. And John, if, if I could over- start to interrupt you real quick, if, can you get me a slide that I could put up while you're talking about this to show do some of these examples while you're giving the numbers and I can put it in afterwards? Yes, absolutely. Okay. Yep. Right. Perfect. Okay. So first retirement account I want to talk about is an individual IRA, which is a traditional or a Roth. As an individual, the maximum you could put in is 6,500. Mm-hmm. If you're over the eight, if you're 50 or older, there's a catch-up provision. So that gets bumped up to six, uh, 7,500, which is a $1,000 catch-up. Okay. If you are, if you set up a SEP IRA, and that you can only do if you own your own business, mm-hmm. you're able to contribute up to 25% of your income, mm-hmm. maximum 66,000. Wow. That's a terrific example yeah. of a comparison. The benefit of being self-employed puts you in a position where you could put away 10, ten times more yeah. yep. towards your retirement. Yep. So you don't have to be a rocket scientist to realize by being self-employed in this capacity, you'll have an opportunity to contribute 10 times more. And that probably means you're going to get to point X 10 times quicker as well. Mm-hmm. I think that's such in an the- important point for people to understand because we talked about last time, the challenges of practice ownership and that it's not for everybody. And and that's not what we're saying that everybody should or has to run their own, their own practice. But when you're making these decisions to work for a DSO or to work for another doctor, you are giving up some things as well when it comes to autonomy and your ability to be super aggressive from a tax standpoint and a retirement tax standpoint. And I think it's so important that doctors understand that what they choose to do, obviously, you know, up to them and everyone's going to do something different based on their specific situation. But it's so important, I think, for people to understand that being an independent practitioner, owning your own practice still does have a lot of advantages. Absolutely. And we talked about that last podcast where we said the difference between working private practice or DSO, Mm -hmm. working for yourself, clearly the ability to maximize the amount of money you could earn year over year and throughout your lifetime, private practice, there's nothing like it. Mm -hmm. That's going to be the better choice. And then in terms of almost all, I'm not saying all, but almost all of these tremendous tax savings I've been talking about here throughout all the podcasts, Mm -hmm. most of these are available to practice owners not to individuals. So it really it really is a whole set of rules for businesses versus individuals. Yep. So I couldn't couldn't agree with you more. Right. So we do have 401k plans. Mm-hmm. The maximum there you can defer is 22,005 plus 7,500 if you're 50 or older. Mm-hmm. There are simple plans, 15,500 if you're over 50, there's an additional 3,500. So there's so many different choices there. And the question I often get is, well, which one is best for my practice? Right. Well, that depends on the facts and circumstances. So depending on what stage of practice you're in, we're going to analyze it. We're going to ask you a number of questions. We're going to look at your profitability. And then we'll put you into a plan that's most suitable to meet your needs. Mm -hmm. If there was one great plan out there and that was the answer for everybody, guess what? all the other plans wouldn't exist. There'd be no mm-hmm. reason to look at them. Right. So you got to just be open-minded and understand that it's not as straightforward as you, as you would think. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to jump in a little bit into two items here. I'm not going to cover all of those in any more detail than I just did, okay. but I'm going to cover both spectrums. One is that young dentist just starting out 
He's an independent contractor, mm-hmm. either working under his own name, an LLC, maybe set up a corporation. Yep. Uh, what would be the best option for that dentist, especially if they have no employees? Yep. And awesome. then I'm going to talk about the other spectrum, which is a established dentist. He's been in practice for many years. Okay. So let's start by talking a little bit about the solo 401k. Okay, great. As the name implies, in order to create a solo 401k, got to be a one-man show so you're one doctor no employees okay what that'll do is it'll give you an opportunity to contribute to a 401k plan and then when you add profit sharing to that you could also end up contributing up to $66,000 per year okay there is an exception to the solo 401k rule and that is if the only employee you have is your spouse Mm -hmm. you could still do a solo 401k and okay. both of you could contribute to that. Very powerful tool. And also with the solo 401ks, typically they're uh, off-the-shelf packages. Like okay. Invesco is the one we work with a lot. Uh, the cost of setting it up is about 10 bucks. There's no administrative cost to doing it. So it works very, very well, where if you have a larger practice, the administrative cost could get very expensive you know, very, very quickly. Mm-hmm. So solo 401k, in my opinion, for most docs is going to be the way to go if they're a one-man show with no employees. So it gives you the tax savings. And within the 401k component, you could put away up to $22,500 into a Roth 401k. Mm -hmm. So those of you that said, you know what, I don't want to do traditional. Mm -hmm. Now you have an opportunity to sock away $22,500 a year. Uh, and it could be 30000 a year if you're 50 or older into that solo 401k plan. Big, big deal, big difference. And down the road, that'll be all tax-free. The low administrative costs I already spoke about. And uh, what I have in front of me here right now is a chart just comparing a simple plan to a SEP, to a profit-sharing 401k. So I'm just going to highlight a couple of these numbers to you, but this would be very useful if you could put this up on the screen. Sure. Yep. Uh, when the time comes. Absolutely. So let's assume you're. Can, a before doctor. you go into the chart, John, if I could just make one uh, add add on point. I think a lot of people hear, well, I'm a solo show, independent contractor. How could I employ my spouse? Correct me if I'm wrong, but your spouse could call and confirm patients. Your spouse could help with your ordering of your supplies. Your spouse could help with some of the bookkeeping side of things. I mean, there's a lot of things that your spouse probably, they could just be, you could be talking and brainstorming ideas and have idea sharing about the your, your business. So I think people sometimes don't necessarily think of it as an independent contractor working as a solo, you know, on, on their own that they could employ their spouse. But from what I'm hearing you say, that's certainly a very viable option as long as your spouse is doing any of those roles. Exactly. So the key here is you can't make up a fiction and say your wife's working there and she's not. You got to pay for actual services rendered. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned all of them already. So I'm not going to repeat them, but you know, it could be bookkeeper, receptionist, your marketing person, mm-hmm. billing right, marketing. Person. Yeah. Yep. You name it. There's plenty of things you could keep your spouse uh, busy doing. And even if you did open up your own practice, and maybe at the beginning stages it's just you and a receptionist, mm-hmm. office manager as well. Well, that role could be easily filled by your spouse. Tremendous benefits in doing that is now your spouse 
could also contribute to a retirement plan. Mm-hmm. So potentially double the amount you're putting away towards retirement. Then when you take your spouse on a dental convention, let's say some of the listeners were so impressed with my speaking today, they end up coming to the Great New York Dental Meeting in Manhattan in November. Uh, Well, if their spouse was working with them, they can fly down to New York, spend the days of the convention there, a few extra days on pleasure. They can now write off the airfare, the hotel stay, uh, some of their meals. And if the wife is on the payroll, they can write off that portion for her as well. Mm. So the tax planning strategies here are enormous. But even in the retirement planning area, uh, you know, and, and employing your spouse or children, we always talk about that when we do our tax planning with clients. Mm-hmm. But it also adds value to the retirement planning side as well, as I just mentioned. Great. I appreciate you elaborating on that. So sorry. So you were on the um, going over the contribution limits with the different charts. So I want, to, I want to just give you a few comparisons at different income levels. So let's assume it's a young dentist just starting out in practice. He's not doing great. His, his income this year from self-employment was only $45,000. Mm-hmm. With a simple plan, he could contribute $16,850 to the plan. Okay. With a SEP, he would be limited to just $11,250 because it's 25% of his income. Mm-hmm. profit sharing would be the same number. With a solo 401k, he could put away 33750 Tremendous difference. So assuming he's otherwise well off and could afford to put that much money away, he has the opportunity to do that. Mm-hmm. On the other side of the spectrum, let's assume a dentist is making 175000 He's self-employed. With a simple plan, he can only contribute 20750 with a SEP and profit sharing plan, he contributed forty-three thousand seven fifty. Mm-hmm. With a solo four hundred one k, he already reached. He, he could reach the sixty-six thousand dollar contribution amount. Mm-hmm. So it does make a big difference. In order to get to the sixty-six thousand dollars under a SEP IRA or a profit sharing, that dentist would need to earn two hundred sixty-four thousand to be able to make that type of contribution. So again, depending on the dentist situation, one may be better than the other. And that, that's something we have to always decide based on the facts. And guess what? Every year, the facts change, right? Mm-hmm. Income could go up, you could get married, you could have a good year, you could have a bad year. So it's something that needs to be looked at and revisited, in my opinion, at least on an annual basis. Yep. And with that, the spouse in the example you gave, if the doc is making the 175, able to put away the 66,000, the spouse could be the one making the 45,000, right? And put the majority of his or her income into the solo 401k. Is that, am I thinking that correctly? Because then you'd still have the, the bulk coming from the, the highest wage earner and you can maximize the retirement of the significant other. Absolutely correct. And that, in addition to that, for those people that love the idea of a Roth tax-free income in retirement, both of them could do $22,500 each into a Roth. Imagine doing that for 10 or 20 year period. Mm. Uh, be a great place to be down the road. For mm-hmm. sure. Yep. Okay, great. Awesome. Um, so not everyone has done a great job of saving for retirement. It's just a reality. And, and you see it obviously more than me, but I talked to some colleagues and 
have known many over the years who um, some practice till they're 80 because they love it and they could retire, but they just love what they do. They'd, they'd be lost without it. Uh, but some are practicing into their 70s and 80s because they have to from a financial standpoint. So if you are somebody who is maybe more in your senior years, or this would be good even for younger docs to hear to kind of know what they'd be up against if they don't do as good of a job planning uh, on how to get to, to point X. Are there any strategies that you can recommend for those to be able to accelerate their ability to get to point X, get to financial independence if they maybe haven't done the best job saving? Absolutely. And I, and I have a great solution for that <clears throat> problem you just defined. You know, you worked all these years, you're now in your 50s, maybe even 60s, and all of a sudden you realize you've made all these sacrifices, put your kids through school, paid the mortgage took care of your family, and now you realize you're five years away from retirement and you don't have enough money to retire. Mm -hmm. And you say, you know what? I'm going to have to just keep working till I'm 70 or 80. Uh, we don't want to see anybody being forced to work, especially at that age. Yeah. So the solution there is we could utilize what's called a 401k with profit sharing and combine that with what's called a defined benefit plan we typically use a cash balance to find benefit plan. Mm -hmm. uh, doing that will be a game changer. I'm going to give you one quick example. I had a mm -hmm. dentist I met, I think it was about five years ago at the Greater New York Dental Meeting. I was doing almost this identical lecture there. Mm -hmm. And he came up to me, he goes, John, you know what? I've been working with my accountant now for the last 35 years. Everything you've been telling me, you never told me, but it was so convenient because I'm on Main Street, and he's down the road on Main Street, right across the street. I always went to him. He never told me any of this stuff. And what you just told me about this cash balance plan is it's something I can take advantage of. But long story short, I he became a client that year. We implemented this plan. And after implementing all these strategies, he was upset. Not with me. He was upset mm -hmm. that the last 35 years, yep. he was paying twice the amount of tax he needed to because wow. he just didn't get the right advice. The great news about this particular dentist is, I think it was around 60 at the time, it was mm -hmm. about five years ago. He's now around, I guess, 65, 66. We've been able to accumulate several million dollars. I think it's about two and a half to three million dollars wow. in that short period of time. So he now is finally in a position where he could say, I could probably retire by the time I'm 67, definitely before 70. Okay. So it's also peace of mind. You yep. know, and sure, sure. We, all, we all make certain mistakes during life because you're juggling juggling so many different uh, financial issues. Mm -hmm. So it's a terrific way to pay, play catch up. Okay. Great. So I'm going to give you a quick example of how this would work. So let's assume we're, it's 2023, the current year. Let's assume one of the listeners right now is 62 years old. Mm -hmm. And he said, that was me. The guy I just described mm -hmm. a few minutes ago, that's him. Well, what I'm going to be able to tell him is the following. Well, if you're earning enough money, let's assume it's a successful practice. They're bringing in uh, 600 million, million five in profit per year. Mm -hmm. And a really successful dental practice that's that mature, they definitely have the ability for the dentist to make a million dollars or more. That, that's I'm not saying it's easy. Not everyone could do it, but it's achievable. Mm -hmm. So let's assume you're also in that situation. Well, what that dentist will be able to do is contribute $73,500 to their 401k, including the catch-up provision of $7,500 and profit sharing. Okay. 
But in addition to that, the defined benefit plan basically says you're now 60 years old, or in this case, 62 years old. You plan on retiring by 67. In order for you to retire by 67, we have to allow you to do a tremendous amount of contributions to your plan. Mm -hmm. So in the example I'm giving you, we're going to assume he can put away $300,000 this year alone into the cash balance plan. Mm -hmm. And I have dentists putting away 300, some putting away 400,000 a year into cash balance plans because they meet the criteria. Well, what I just described to you is he's going to put away $373,500 into a retirement plan. Wow. Guess what? He was in a 50% tax bracket. Half of that money he would have given up to the government. Yep. Now the government is not getting a dime of it. And now throughout his retirement years, he's going to have twice as much money working for him. And yep. yes, he'll have to pay some taxes on the way out. But as I said, because of the secret to becoming financially independent, which is the power of compounding, he's going to be much, much better off for it throughout his lifetime. Yep. At a bare minimum, mentally, he's going to be in a much better place. Because if he walked into retirement at 67 with a million dollars, he, he knew that retirement fund is not going to last his lifetime. Yep. But now we gave him the opportunity where he could live out his retirement years with the mental peace of mind to know that it's highly unlikely he's going to run out of money and have to go down that road you know, later on in life. So very, very powerful tool. So, you know, I could give you examples of all the different retirement plans and when they one would be more appropriate for another, but we'd have to have about five more podcasts to do that. So we're not <laughs> going to do that. But I just wanted to give you the two extremes, young guy starting out, so, solo guy, and then that successful dentist who's been around a long time, but just did a poor job of saving for retirement. So you, you see the two extremes there and there's everything else in between. I could help a dentist in private practice, figure out what the best strategy would be for them and we'll custom make something for them that's going to help them get to point X in a reasonable amount of time. That's great. And that's Very gotta be, powerful. It's got to be rewarding for you too, to, you know, to do that and just to be able to um, take some, change someone's life that way, where they're ultimately, you know, at a point where, like you said, it's not just the, the X's and O's of the financial, the numbers, the the, the digits that you're looking at on a balance sheet, it's the emotional impact of that, that if you get to be in your 60s and you see that you don't have much set aside and dentistry day in and day out is a grind, especially general dentistry. Uh, I practice a few years as a general dentist during my residency moonlighting. So I know how hard it can be. I've had multiple family members as general dentists. It isn't, you know, it, it, it takes a toll. It's a hard job to be good at it and do it well for an extended period. So if you're in your 60s, you've been practicing 30 years, and you don't see a light at the end of the tunnel. And I think conversely, it's so important to say to those younger docs out there that the strategies that you're talking about and that they can implement at 30 or before can avoid that. And if they just go and look at the calculator and start talking to the right financial advisor and say, hey, can I, from a tax perspective, what it, what are my options? What, what can I do and how can I do this? Uh, I think it's a really, really great point on, um, on just, just what a life-changing impact what this discussion we're having uh, can have on people. Yep. And you, and you just defined my passion. My passion is mm -hmm. to save people as much money as possible and get them to become financially independent within a reasonable amount of time. 
and the reward I get from it. I mean, I, I really get emotional when I talk about this subject and I don't want to sound like I'm uh, weak or corny here, <laughs> but there've been many teary eyed moments that I have with clients where they're saying, John, you helped me get my kid through college. Mm-hmm. John, I would have never been able to retire if you didn't do what you did for me. And it's, yeah. uh, I'm not going to get emotional here, right? Let's, <laughs> let's, let's, let's move on. But <laughs> that's great, though. No, that's awesome. I think people don't think about accounting and ta- the tax side of accounting in that way. Like I said people just think of it as X's and O's and dollars and cents. But the, there's a there's a ton of a, of a, a huge emotional component to it and um, psychological component. And and you know that's just that's uh, great. It's great that that's something that I can see why you're so passionate about it and it shows in in your knowledge in this area and your ability to help help people. So. Um, one thing that I do know in talking to especially young docs, there's so many expenses out there. Um, the cost of everything has gone up a lot and the revenue coming in, especially if they're part providers with maybe a couple insurance plans, they might not be seeing the revenue coming in that they, that they were. Uh, what do you say to those who say the administrative costs of these plans? Cause there are, you know, someone who implemented these plans in my practice for many years, there are definitely administrative costs involved. Um, what do you say to people who are turned off by those administrative costs, say it's not worth it, or any strategies that they can implement to minimize some of that administrative cost burden? Yeah. So again, it depends on the stage of life they're in, the stage of their practice, if a practice truly can't afford to contribute, then very often I say, right, no practice pension plan this year, but we're going to make sure you at least do the IRA account individually. Mm-hmm. So that's a solution. Let's say the practice is doing a little better, but the dentist is not in a position to put away significant amount of money. Well, then we may recommend a SEP plan or a simple plan to them because okay. it gives them more flexibility. Uh, there are, other plans that are more sophisticated, those are going to be the 401ks, profit sharing plans, cash balance plans. Those are the ones that could get very expensive administratively. Mm-hmm. And that's probably the plans they're talking about when they're saying it's going to get too expensive. Yeah. Uh, what I say to that is they're not expensive. Yes, you may have to write out a big check to a plan actuary mm-hmm. to create these custom plans and then maintain them. But the tax savings associated with them are tremendous. Mm-hmm. So we already know if you're in a 50% tax bracket, you put $50,000 into a retirement account, you now defer the tax on that 50, you just have you double the amount of money you have going forward. That that we already established. Mm-hmm. But let's assume now you're late later on in your practice, you're doing well, and now your financial advisor says, "Doc, it's now time to contribute serious money. Let's set up a 401k, profit sharing, maybe cash balance plan I just talked about. Mm-hmm. That could easily cost you $5,000 to set up, could easily cost you four or 5,000 a year to maintain that plan. Mm-hmm. And I get that all the time. The doc says, I don't wanna spend that money. It's crazy, why would I spend all that money? And you know what I call that? I call that uh, uh, penny wise, dollar foolish. That's mm-hmm. basically what that is. Yep. I'm gonna give you a number of examples. And in addition to the tax deferral, which we already said is so, so powerful, mm-hmm. anytime you set up a plan as an employer, any employer contribution you make, if you're an S corporation, you're not going to pay Medicare tax on it. Okay. The Medicare tax is 3.8%. 
So let's just assume for a minute you contributed two hundred thousand dollars in employer contributions. Two hundred thousand times three point eight percent. You just saved seven thousand six hundred dollars in Medicare tax. Uh That's not a tax deferral. That's a permanent tax savings. Mm-hmm. You're never going to pay that Medicare tax because that Medicare tax only applies to salary and uh, salary that you're earning, uh, as well as sometimes profit, depending on how you're set up. And then in your retirement years, when you pull the money out of a retirement account, mm-hmm. that Medicare tax is not applicable to retirement distributions down the road. So my simple point is just the Medicare tax savings alone with a 200,000 contribution will permanently save you $7,600. That in and of itself under a sub-ass corporation setup will more than pay for those administrative costs. So net, net, that item by itself puts you ahead of the game without all everything else we already talked about. So that, that I've been preaching now for well over a decade. It's probably the last 15 years or so that I've been preaching. This is something you need to do. Mm-hmm. Now, recently, new tax laws just came into effect. As a matter of fact, they were signed into law on December 29th of 2022, just before okay. New Year's. Okay. Uh, really revolutionized the tax breaks available to dentists. There are not only tremendous tax deductions available now, but a tremendous amount of tax credits available as well. And these credits, you could benefit from them over the next five-year period. And I'm going to go through a few of them with you shortly. Uh, But the bottom line here, this all came into existence because of the SECURE Act. The first one was called SECURE Act. The second one's called SECURE Act 2.0. Uh, and the implications of this, like I said, are astonishing. So I'm going to go through a couple of these uh, big deal items. That tax bill literally had hundreds of provisions. Clearly, I'm not going to cover all of them, but I think the ones that are most applicable to our audience here today, as well as those that I think a dentist is going to be in the best position to take advantage of, I'm going to talk to you about. So if it's okay with you, that sounds like a great spot to maybe we we end uh, part 3A with that, and then we can pick up going through the SECURE Act and getting into some of the more granular detail on the different credits and advantages that that docs have to set these these plans up in part 3B, if that works. Perfect. I think that's a perfect transition to splitting up the podcast. Looking forward to the second half as well. Awesome. Great. Well, thanks so much, everybody, for tuning into this episode, part 3A, as we dive into taxes and retirement savings. You're going to be speaking soon. Uh, when this is released, it'll be coming up pretty pretty soon right after. So if you just want to take a moment and let us know about uh, the Greater New York Dental Meeting and remind people of where you're going to be speaking, where they can come see you in person. Yeah. So the Greater New York Dental Meeting this year, as it usually is, is, is a Javits Center in Manhattan. So again, if you're looking for a reason to go to Manhattan around Thanksgiving time, shopping, look at the uh, Christmas tree at Rockefeller Center, you can turn that into a tax deductible uh, experience as well. Mm-hmm. As long as the primary reason you're going there is to <laughs> watch me speak, yep. we're going to be doing on November 24th, that's a Friday, uh, 10 characteristics of a multimillionaire dentist. I'm going to show you how you could achieve that. I'm going to do that same presentation on Wednesday, November 29th from 2 to 5 p.m. On November 29th, I'm going to be doing a presentation titled 
creating a financially successful dental practice, uh, some of what we covered throughout your podcast mm -hmm. will be included in that presentation. Okay. But I'm going to elaborate into a lot of other areas there as well. But also will give your listeners, if they join us, an opportunity to ask questions and interact. So if you're planning to be at the Greater New York Dental Meeting uh, this November, please uh, sign up for one or more of my courses. I'd love to see you there in person. Awesome. Thank you. And I highly encourage it. Um, really go see John speak and he's kind of scratched the surface of some of these areas in our podcast series here, but to get into more depth and meet him. And as we said, we will pick up with part three B in next week's podcast. Thanks so much, everyone for tuning in. Thank you, John, as always. And uh, we'll see you next week. My pleasure. Thanks. Thank you for watching this episode of the Doc Podcast. Be sure to visit theorthocoach.com to get access to ADA SERP recognized CE courses or to schedule a private one-on-one -on -one coaching session with me. And remember to join the Doc community on Facebook for more great content designed to help you succeed both personally and professionally. Just go to Facebook, search for the Doc community and request admission into the group. You can also find Doc on Instagram at at theorthocoach. And always remember, you have been blessed with the ability to do amazing things.